What's happening to kids' brains? That's the question in an article in the Wall Street Journal. And it observed these things. Many kids, it suggests most kids, can't sit through a feature-length movie. Um, they have trouble focusing on their homework and find it difficult to concentrate enough to read a book. A uh, psychiatrist at Mass General in Boston made this observation. He said, it's hard work to look at increasing trends in media consumption of all types and not conclude there's a decrease in attention span. With 15-second TikToks, even YouTube seems long and, long and boring. Children are distracted. And the author of the article went on and said, uh, watching short, fast-paced videos makes it harder for kids to sustain activities that don't offer instant and constant gratification. TikTok, as you may know, uh, features what's called a recommender series, uh, system. And what it does is it makes suggestions based on your past history as to what you might want to see next. And uh, the activities, uh, uh, they make it harder for people to stop watching. Here comes another video. Here's another one, another one. So kids struggle to shift their attention away from their favorite video. Now, scientists describe it this way. They say that this has to do with the prefrontal cortex, which I don't know what that is. Uh, but it's part of the brain that's responsible for impulse control. And it's not fully developed until a person is in his mid-twenties. And again, uh, a mass general doctor noted, in our short-form, snackable world, you're getting quick hit after quick hit, and as soon as it's over, you have to make a choice. The dopamine rush of endless short videos makes it hard for youth to focus on slower moving activities. Kids are now living, as it were, in a candy store environment. And we can say, clearly kids need help, don't they? I mean, we knew that before I told you all this, but, but you need help too, don't you? We all need help. We need help paying attention to the things that really matter. And so the theme that's before us this morning and comes out of Psalm 21 is paying attention to God. That's something that really matters. And it's very practical because what we see when we look at this psalm is that being attentive to God is the path to having more confidence in his care. Let me say it again. Being attentive to God is the path toward being more confident in his care. 
Well, so we're going to look at Psalm 121, and Lynn, I'm going to try to get to your question. It's just eight verses. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. Psalm 121. We're going to start by giving our attention to God as he's revealed here. After we do that, then we'll try to identify uh, the relationship between what we come to understand about God and trusting him. And then we'll offer a couple applications for the week that's ahead. So let me just iterate. Being attentive to God is the path toward having more confidence in him. Now, Psalms 120 to 134 are a package. They are called uh, songs of ascent or songs of degree. And it's thought that those psalms were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. You know, he commanded them to come and worship him, and so these were songs that they sang on the way. Now, Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains, and so the trips involved a literal going up. Uh, and people have called these songs then traveling songs. When I was a little kid, we would go and visit uh, relatives, take car trips, visit our relatives, and my mother introduced me to the idea that there were traveling psalms. I don't remember this one, her mentioning this one, but we would sing together. They may be called psalms of ascent for another reason. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them and this one have what are called a stair-step kind of structure. And in this case, you'll see there are four of those steps. We'll take a look at them and see what each of them says to us about the Lord. As we attend to him, we want to ask, what's this step say about him? What's this one say? What's this one say? So, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, can you see the first step? I'll lift up my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? That's verse 1. The end of verse 1, where does my help come from? The beginning of verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Ever wondered where your help comes from? Ever asked that question? What do I do now? I'm in a mess. Where can I get help? Well, the writer offers a confession of faith. He says, my help comes from the Lord. He's my source of help. He fulfills my needs, ultimately. He is the one who furthers my life's purpose. Uh, it's really quite an amazing thing because there's this linkage between this psalm writer who's heading up to Jerusalem and the God of creation. He says, the maker of heaven and earth, he's my helper. He's not far removed from me. Instead, with all of his power, he's there for me. And 
we might say he's here for you today, in this moment, too. As we noted a couple of weeks ago, there's not a single square inch in the whole cosmos over which the Lord does not say, mine. He's in all the details of life, down to the lace curtains, as they say. He's the maker of heaven and earth, and he's our helper. Well, that's the first thing. God is his people's helper. Now look at verses 3 and 4, please. This is the next step. What kind of help does he provide? He will not let your foot be moved. He that keepeth you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And again, there's this step approach. When we're told that he's a helper, what we mean is <clears throat> he's not going to let your foot uh, stagger or sway or uh, bump into some insecurity. Amazing, but think about it. The Lord cares about your feet. Do you ever have a foot injury? Um, sprain your ankle, have an infection in your little toe, uh, drop something on your big toe, um, have a serious cut. Our daughter Sarah served with teen missions her last two years, last two years in high school. She went to India one year, went to South America or South Africa the other year. Now, Kids that go with teen missions are restricted in how much stuff they can bring along. Only 32 pounds per kid. More importantly, every, every single teen mission that went on a trip was required to wear all the time six-inch construction boots. Imagine that. Sunday morning... Sarah came to church just to demonstrate. She had a long dress on and down at the bottom, six-inch construction boots. How come? Well, teen missions people have figured out what the Lord knows, too. You hurt your feet, and it can really slow you down. But it raises this question. Why would the author focus on feet in this psalm at this place? Well, remember, it's a psalm of ascent. People are going up a mountain path to Jerusalem. Worshiping meant climbing a trail. And the Lord wants his people's worship enough so that he makes this promise to them. I'm going to take care of your feet on the way. Now, there's another gem in this next step. Uh, remember our friend Elijah and the prophets of Baal? There's going to be a contest. Uh, who's really God? And so they make an altar and the prophets of Baal call on him to, uh, to respond with fire and burn up the sacrifice. But Baal doesn't. He's quiet. And so Elijah mocks them and he says, well, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you need to yell louder. Well, 
the fact of the matter is all pagan gods are impotent, but the Lord, well, we're told here, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't take little cat naps. You sometimes doze off. The Lord doesn't do that. Neither does he take long, semi-comatose snoozes. He can keep his people because he's always on the job, attentive, aware of every need. And again, you can see the stair-step pattern. Verse 3 ends with, He who keeps you will not slumber, and then... He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is personal caregiver for all God's people. Step four gives us another way of attending to God. It's verses five and six. What do they tell us about him? Well, we read, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. So, Lynn raises a good question. What's this thing about shade? And shade on the right hand. Well, first of all, traveling up to Jerusalem could theoretically be dangerous. Remember in the New Testament where Jesus tells the story about the man who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls among thieves? Well, danger from robbers was no less a problem back in the Old Testament than in the New. And we're also told that, generally speaking, Jewish soldiers were typically right-handed, right-handed. In their left hand, they would have a shield. In their right hand, perhaps a sword or a dagger. The shield on their left hand, that would protect them, but that left the right side vulnerable. And so what's the Lord do? He says, I'm going to take care of my vulnerable people. I'm going to protect them. He'll protect from every real and present danger, including the elements. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Now, just ponder this thought. The Lord protects his people. Sometimes he takes them through difficulties and protects them on the way. Sometimes he delivers them from difficulties. And... Sometimes the problems that face God's people are circumstantial. We, nobody could have imagined. And in other cases, they're the result of foolish choices or sinful behavior. Well, here's a story about how the Lord delivered me from to something totally unexpected. It's a beautiful summer sunny day. We're driving uh, north on Route 7 on our way home in western Massachusetts. It's that time of year when Route 7 is clogged with other traffickers. They're out to see the foliage and enjoy the mountains. And we're going along in our two-tone blue Volkswagen bus. 
Kids are in the back seat. And you know those buses? Uh, you're right up in the front. There's no motor in front of you should you hit something. Well, as we come around a bend, I see, to my horror, a little girl coming down what I interpreted to be a steep driveway, wobbling on her bike toward the road. And I, as I imagine it, I think, this is going to be terrible. Now, I, I want to avoid her, but I don't want to pull out into the lane of, un, of oncoming traffic. I'm just petrified. Well, somehow, as she gets to the bottom, she turns, runs parallel to us. I pull out a little bit. We squeak by her and make it home. But when I get out, I look at the side of the car, and you know what I see? A crease in the metal down the door, and paint freshly removed, which I came to interpret as her handlebar squeaking down the side of our car. How many times have I thanked the Lord from sparing me, from keeping me from danger? Can you think of any time when the Lord's delivered you? Well, there's one final step here. It's verse four, uh, verses 7 and 8. When we give attention to the Lord here, what do we see? The writer reinforces what he's already been saying about this keeping power that God has. And so he says here, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul or your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. No matter where you go, no matter how far eternity stretches, God has you covered according to these two verses. And what we see here is this repetition. Keep keeps your soul. Keep keeps your going out and your coming in. Keep, and that repeated uh, reference to keep, 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 it's almost like there's a crescendo effect to the end of the psalm. And in calling our attention to God, the psalmist is leading us along a path where we can have more confidence in him, not less. So let's just review. What have we seen that would bolster our confidence in the Lord? He's your helper, verses 1 and 2. He's your caregiver, verses 3 and 4. He's your protector, verses 5 and 6. Verses 7 and 8, he's your preserver. And let's not forget, these truths are against the backdrop of the uncertainty of a trip up the mountain to Jerusalem where the writer doesn't know what will really befall him. In fact, he might think about that, feel overwhelmed by it and say, I'm staying home, it's too dangerous. But he doesn't. He doesn't because he confesses the Lord as his helper. And he communicates that in a gripping, compelling way to us. It keeps him going enough to write it down. And it keeps him going enough to pass this on as a word of encouragement to fellow travelers. 
Now, isn't what we see in this psalm what the Lord wants for you in your future? Doesn't he want you to move into your future, first of all, attentive to his character? Attentive to how he has committed to care for you? And doesn't he want you to move into your future with your eyes on him and with your heart attuned to his will and with your feet following in the footsteps that he has marked out for you? In his humanity, Jesus experienced all the kinds of struggles that are before you today. We're told that he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And so, from that perspective, Jesus knew something about the importance of a helper, and a caregiver, and a protector, and a preserver. So, think about the way in which Jesus models the confidence that we see in this psalm. Now, you can think of other examples, but let me just name a few. He leaves glory to come to live and to die in a sin-cursed world. At the wedding of Cana of Galilee, he stoops to help a family on the cusp of public shame. His very first sermon went very badly. At the conclusion, a homicidal mob was after him. They dragged him out, took him to the edge of the hill, uh, edge of the city, and they were going to throw him down a cliff. And what does Jesus do? We're told that, trusting in the Lord, he simply passes through the midst of them and goes on to the rest of his ministry. How about this? In a storm-tossed boat with his disciples, he's sound asleep, but he rebukes the wind and the wave, and then he turns around to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. I'm willing to trust you, even to go to the cross. And hanging there, between heaven and earth, just before he gives up his life, he says, into your hands I commend my spirit. Two truths then. First of all, we see this confession and confidence of this psalm played out in the Lord's life. And secondly, through this psalm, the Lord is calling you to be more like your Savior. But that is precisely where the rub comes. Why? While Christ calls you to be like him, the Bible clearly teaches. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one understands who understands. There's no one who seeks God. None is righteous, not one. All have turned aside. There's nothing in you innately that would lend you to move in the direction of this psalm. 
And you see, that's precisely why you need a Savior. You need somebody outside yourself that can give you what you need to become all that the Lord has designed you to be. And that's what you find in relationship to Christ. In fact, Jesus exposes all self-righteousness, all attempts to live life out of our own resources when he says, without me, you can't do anything. The force of this psalm then is pay attention to the Lord. He'll provide what you need. He'll become for you your help. He will support you. He'll protect you. He'll give you care. He'll preserve you. And it all comes through faith, not through trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So what might it look like for this to be practical in your life? Two suggestions. Ask the Lord to show you this week. Pray to him and say, Lord, would you please show me where, my, where I attempt to do life on my own without reference to you? Ask him that. And then as he answers, uh, then ask him to enable you to move toward him and toward a needy world that surrounds us all. That's the first suggestion. Ask the Lord to specifically show you how you try to live life on your own. And then ask Jesus to make you different. And here's the second suggestion. Ask the Lord to show you ways that you can be more generous. This psalm certainly speaks about God's lavish care for his people. He doesn't slumber or sleep. He's going to preserve us from all evil, going out, coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. He lavishes good things on us, enough so that you can trust him. And so one of the ways to demonstrate trust in him is ask the Lord to show you where you can be more generous. And then reach out to people that are in need around you. If you read the story about John Patton, P-A-T-O-N, he's a 19th century missionary who went to the islands then called New Hebrides, now called Vanuatu. They're in the South Pacific. It's a wonderful story. Well, when an older man in the church learned of John's plans to go off as a cross-cultural worker, he replied like this. He cried out, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. Now, 32-year-old John Patton was equal to the challenge, and he replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or worms. And in the great resurrection day, my body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Now, there's a guy who's living out 
the thrust of Psalm 121. He's confident in the Lord in the face of what might have been overwhelming, paralyzing fear. And he's trusting in the Lord to take care of him as he gives his life to serve cannibals on the other side of the world. So, identify your fears so you can move toward others to serve them and trust in the Lord's provision and be generous. Being attentive to God is the path to having more confidence in his care. Lord, we ask you to bless your word to us. We thank you for it. Thank you for this wonderful song. We ask that as we meditate on who you are and how you relate to us, you'd strengthen us so that we're much more confident in you than before we came today. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name, amen.